Hallelujah. I'm so glad in the Lord. It's wonderful. Jesus has conquered Satan and all its work. Amen. And he is here this morning. We are gathering together around Jesus. And that's so good. And this morning I want to continue Christ in the books of Acts on the traces of Paul's journey. And I'm going to speak this morning on Paul in Jerusalem. Now in the last couple of weeks um, you made with me a trip from the top of the east coast of Turkey down to the east coast of Israel to Caesarea and now we have come to Jerusalem. I have been there personally but in my spirit I was always there and always there and if you look at the, uh, at the graph or at the card then you see where Paul was and he came down because he longed to go to Jerusalem and I'm reading this morning from Acts chapter 21 the verses 15 to 32 After these things we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Namson of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. Is it, am I causing this tractor noise? No. Okay, good. Verse uh, 17. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God has done among the Gentiles through his ministry. That was Luke reporting. Yes? And when they had heard if they began uh, heard it, they began glorifying God and said to him, see brother, how many thousands were there are among the Jews of those who have believed and they are zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the custom. That means custom of Judaism. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may see, uh, shave 
their heads, and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles, we have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from sacrifice to idols and from blood and from the strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men the next day and purified himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, also seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowds and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come and do come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and his and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in a city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once they took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking, who has, no. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. So far, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I bless your wonderful name this morning. I thank you, Lord, for this record Luke wrote to give us something to see how the Apostle Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles, and through him also came the gospel of Jesus Christ to us in Europe, in America, here, O oh Lord, to Australia. I thank you. And Lord, I pray this morning, give grace to speak your word. Give grace to listen to your word. To act up on your word, I pray in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, praise the Lord. Paul in Jerusalem. And we heard about the chapters before that he longed to be in Jerusalem, at least at Pentecost. And he was longing for Jerusalem because there were his brothers. And he knew that God is going to bless them. Now Paul, and we see Paul and some disciples from Caesarea 
met up with him with Nathan, an old disciple from Cyprus. Now we don't know where he came to faith in Jesus Christ, this man. But he might have been come, become to faith in Jesus Christ on the first trip Paul might have done. Or perhaps on the great Pentecost day, the first Pentecost outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that he was one of the 3,000. But he was an old disciple, the Bible says here. Now Paul and his companion, they stayed overnight with him, and they might have talked about many things. And on the next day they came to Jerusalem and met James and the elders of the church in Jerusalem. How wonderful. And he related all these things the Lord has done. He was on a mission trip. And this was now his third mission trip. And he had to tell them many things. And they were glad when they heard what God has done. But I realized something here. There was a change of church dynamics. You know what I mean with it? You find it out. We all have in mind the church in Jerusalem as one heart and one soul. They were somehow so closely knit together. But listen what here James says and the elders and if you remember from chapter 4 in Acts, it says there, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Wouldn't that be a wonderful church? Yes? One heart, one soul. You never have to have meetings in order to smoothen out things between brothers and sisters. Isn't this good? Oh, that's wonderful. I would like to be a member of that church. But that's many, many years ago. Thousands of years ago. But we see something. The whole dynamic church dynamic has changed. Because, and the elders and James, they explained it to Paul in verse 20b. You see, brother... How many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. Do you realize something? Was it some kind of a warning for Paul? Paul, listen, we have got here some very zealous Jews and they are so particular to keep the law. Now let's call these Jew Messianic Jews. They believed in Jesus Christ and still there was something they had to warn Paul from or for. There were some rumors about Paul. I don't know whether you ever was in the center of a so-called rumor. You know what a rumor is, yeah? What a rumor is. And gossipers love rumors. They can't keep their tongue uh, still in their mouth. 
the tongue goes already, you know. Oh, have you heard this? Have you heard this? Have you heard this? And there was a rumor about Paul. Now, everywhere where Paul is, in Asia, where he preached the gospel, he always spoke against Moses. He said we should forget Moses, similar in that regard. And we don't have to keep the law any longer, and so on. And these were rumors. And these, uh, these elders and James also said, now listen, we have got something here. If these people, the so-called, let me call these Jews in Jerusalem, Messianic Jews, they believed in Jesus. But there were also some Jews in the diaspora. These were the Jews in Greece, the Jews wherever Paul was, in all the different cities, and they might have written to the Jews, to the Messianic Jews, listen, this Paul, he always, where he comes, always causes trouble. Do you know pastors who cause troubles? Good on them. Good on them. You know, I think it was Spurgeon. When he brought, uh, when his um, students came back from the weekend preaching, and, or was it uh, perhaps, it was Spurgeon, I guess. So, and he said, anyone, did he get saved? And if they had said no. Was anyone angry at you? Yes. That was good enough for Spurgeon because then their conscience was provoked by the Spirit of God. And it's, that's so important. That's why I don't say, as some people say, welcome this morning and relax. No, don't relax. Welcome this morning and listen what the Spirit of God has to say. That's why we're here, aren't we? That's why we're here, because the word of God is powerful. It's powerful, and perhaps some people might get angry. I had it in my ministry many, 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 many times. When I was preaching somewhere, either people stood up and went out angrily, you know. They went out, and I knew exactly what it was. Some of the Spirit of God has shot into their hearts. They were wounded in their heart. And that's what we want. That's what happened with Peter when he preached on the day of Pentecost. Amen? When he heard what he preached, it went into their hearts. There was something, there was a reaction. Now, Paul knew wherever he preached, that some Jews, and also in the diaspora, where the Jews were in Greece, or wherever it was, you know, in all these cities, there was almost, uh, or almost a, an uproar. You know, in Ephesus, you remember that? When they brought out the goddess of, of Ephesus. And what was the name again? Diana. And they screamed and said, Great is the goddess of the Ephesians. And Paul got into trouble. 
he got into trouble. Now, somehow, there was a rumor about Paul. Praise the Lord. At least people speak about a pastor. When they don't speak about their pastor, what he is preaching, but at least some rumors. And Paul was now very interesting. What are we going to do? And that was what the disciples or what the elders said. What are we going to do, in other words? And now they said something. Listen, brother. You see, brother, I mean, I read it already, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And what should we do? These Messianic Jews were told that Paul is against Moses. Paul said, you don't have to keep the law any longer. And the temple is no longer necessary somehow like this. He spoke against this place. That was the rumor was. Now what should we do? And the Messianic Jews were told by the Jews of the diaspora, this is the Paul. And now this Paul is here in Jerusalem. He was seen with a, with a Greek man from Ephesus. And so they feared already something. Now the only thing, the only thing that connected the Jews from the diaspora and the Jews or these Messianic Jews was what? Pure Judaism. That's all. They didn't rejoice about Jesus. They were concerned about Judaism. They were concerned about the way they had to walk according to Moses and so on. Pure Jewishness doesn't save anyone. Amen? Pure Jewishness doesn't save anyone. We prayed last Friday for Israel. And I believe every believer prays for Israel. That's what we should do. Do it, keep praying. But praying for Israel is very good. But Judaism or Jewishness doesn't save anyone. Jesus saves. Amen. Jesus saves. Hallelujah. And Peter said it very clearly in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. When he was with John before the council, and he said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that we are that has been given among men, by which we, and now I want to hear your word, by which we must, not only can or should be, by which we must, must, must. If you are going to church and think it's everything's okay, if you are not being saved by Jesus, you are not saved at all. Regardless what you do regardless how nice you sing, how, how, regardless how much you give to the church, no one, no one is being saved unless through Jesus, by which we must be saved. And when I did 
English, I learned English. I, I thought I learned something English. Is it English what I'm speaking now? Yeah? Okay. And I, I learned this word must. That's something you can't avoid. Nobody goes to heaven without this must be saved through Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you awake? Praise the Lord. And that's so important. Now James and the elders were actually concerned about their messianic Jews. You understand it? They said, well, actually we have got a lot of people, thousands. In, in Greek it says myriads. Yeah, if you have the Greek text, go into it. It said myriads, actually thousands were in Jerusalem. They were Messianic Jews. They believed in Jesus Christ, but still kept the law and so on. And perhaps James and the elders, they feared that there will be an uproar, not just in ruin in Jerusalem, but also in the church. Paul, you would be stirring up or stirring up these people. What should we do now? And he had been seen in the city already with Trophimus walking. He was a Greek. Imagine in a city everybody speaks Hebrew and there are two speaking Greek. People could pick, these are Greeks. And they, elders and James, had an idea. And it said in verse 23, Therefore do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. They said, we have got an idea. We have got an idea. We have got four men. This is a German way to, to count four. We always count the thumb as well. This is the Australian way. But this is the German way. Because the thumb is a finger too, isn't it? That's how I learned it in school. Now, we have got four men here, and they are under a vow. And that was very important for these men. They made a vow before God and was the Nazarite's vow. And there was a vow where men, even also women, could make a vow. A vow of separation, it was called. And we read about it, we don't have to look it up now, in Numbers chapter 6, the verses 13 to 21. You can read it out. And I read through, they made a vow before God. And that was real. Because a separation vow, a person dedicated himself totally to obey God and be totally true to the law of Moses. A person was totally dedicated and he was being set apart for God. We would say holiness is nothing else but set apart for God. I'm holy. What are you? Holy. Are you set apart for God? 
Amen. Set apart from the world and set apart for God. That's a Nazarite. So, and we, we have four of them here. Now listen, the best thing is you join them somehow, is my language. In Acts chapter 18, 18, it's very interesting. And we can see here, perhaps it's just an indication, and let's read Acts 18, 18, there was before he left Ephesus. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put all out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla, you remember this lady? And she was married and she had a husband. Her husband was Aquila. In Cancrea, he had his hair cut for he was keeping a now, this is a little bit of a hard to understand Greek sentence. Either it refers that Paul was under a vow, or perhaps Aquila, he was a Jew. And they have come from Rome, you know, Prisquilla and Aquila. Now, we see here, and I can read it perhaps, that was Paul. Paul also could have made a vow to God. And that's important. And I see something about to God and Nazarite is something we as Christians should live as well in a spiritual way. And there were many things they should do. First of all, abstinence from wine and strong drinks. Now, do you believe I'm a super anti-alcoholic? Do you believe that? Yes. I'm an anti-alcoholic because my life is not only dedicated for a certain time of the time of a Nazarite. My time is dedicated the whole life for Jesus. Amen. And I think it's not bad to be a whole life dedicated for God, being a Nazarite. Hallelujah. Being a Nazarite for Jesus. Now there was this, first of all, no drinks of strong drinks of vinegar, not to drink grape juice. We have drunk it this morning at the communion. It's not a sin. No, no, no. But I want to tell you how strong it was, this, this wall. No fresh or dried grapes, nor the skin of grapes. Dried grapes, we call them raisins, yeah? And somebody liked raisin cake. I, I like it. Okay. And also having their hair uncut. So that meant you... You saved money for the whole time. You didn't have to go to the barber. And it cost each time, I don't know how much. I've never been here in Australia to a barber. 
I've got my barber at home. <laughs> and this barber lady does a good job. Don't you think so? And she leaves my, ha my hair nice and gray or white. And she does it exactly that pleases her. <laughs> so now, there was a thing. They did, were not allowed to cut the hair for the whole time they did this vow. And they were not allowed to have any contact with a dead person. If perhaps any one of their, uh, their family died, it was a long and elaborate ritual to be done, to be cleansed from that dead person that died in your family. Now at the end of the separation for the Lord, at the end of the Nazarite vow, they had to bring a sacrifice to the Lord. And the idea of James and the elders in Jerusalem was this. Now listen, we have got four men, and they have almost finished their, their time of a Nazarite. They have to sacrifice. And if you want to know, then read in, in Numbers chapter 6, I think it is. Yeah? Read it. Then you know exactly what they had to do. And okay, Paul agreed with it. And I asked myself, isn't this not somehow suspicious? Isn't this not somehow, what would you call, hypocritical? And we know from the writings of Paul that Paul was very clear against the law because the law doesn't save anyone. The law only shows us that we are sinners. No. The Bible speaks about, and that's important to understand law, and to understand the Apostle Paul. In verse 26 of this, Paul took the men, and the next day purifying himself along with them, went into the temple giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. Paul went with these four men into the temple and they did what was required to bring the sacrifice of the end of the time of a uh, Nazarite. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 20, Paul shows us his idea and shows us his heart. And he says very clearly in Romans, is the law then evil? By no way. The law shows us that we are sinners and through the law we have been condemned without condemnation if nobody felt by the Spirit of God and the Word of God condemned, he never could appreciate the grace of God. There were sin increased. The grace of God has increased 
even more. Hallelujah. Is it chapter 5, verse 20? 2 Corinthians, I believe. And we see something here. Paul shows us his heart in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 20. To the Jews I became a Jew so that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, though I'm though not being myself under the law, so that I might what? That so that I might what? Win. He became a Jew to the Jews in order to win them for Jesus. That, of course, doesn't mean some Christian, worldly Christian, expanded like a rubber band. Oh, well, in the world, I have to behave like the world. Paul also says, to the Jews I became a Jew, to the Greek a Greek. No, in the world you live as a Christian, as born again. You do not adopt the things of the world in order to win them. I preached it long ago, and you should know me. We had once a young man working with us in our company. He said, Werner, I guarantee, I come with you to church. He knew I'm a pastor. I come with you to church, but at least once, at least once, come with me to a nightclub. Can you imagine a pastor going to a nightclub and next Sunday preaching about holiness? Somehow it doesn't fit, does it? So I didn't become one like him. I want to become like Jesus in the world, wherever it might be. Hallelujah. And Paul says, well, and I understand this section as well. He did it in order to show the Jews, I am a Jew, but I'm born again. I met this Jesus from Nazareth. Hallelujah. And his heart was full of Jesus. He never forgot the hour before Damascus when he was in the dust and breathing the dust into his lungs. He hasn't forgotten it. That's where the Lord met him. Now, James then also reconfirmed what happened to the, or what should happen to the Gentiles, Christian. And I went back to Acts 15, where it's been originally said by James. Acts 15, 19 to 20. Therefore, it is my judgment, James's judgment, through the Holy Spirit. Don't come and say, oh, well, that was just James's idea. No, no, no. All the elders were together. They were praying, seeking the Lord. And James was a spokesman and said, this is my judgment. Let's read it again. Therefore, it's my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God among the Gentiles, but that we write to them they, that they should abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication 
and from what is strangled and from blood. Now, here is the scripture. You know Christians who think they have liberty to do everything. Liberty to eat everything. No! Through the Spirit, James received from the Lord. Now we all know this, and here's the reason why Christians don't eat black pudding. You know what black pudding is? Or blood pudding. Christians don't eat it. Don't invite me for our lunch with black pudding. No, no, no. I wouldn't come. I wouldn't come. So, it's important. Many, many Christians say, oh, well, Jesus said what enters the mouth, you know, and so doesn't defile anyone. Yes, but here through the Spirit of God, it was said very clearly that we should abstain from blood. And that includes blood pudding. Yuck. And God has this his mind behind why, why, why? Because life is in the blood. And we should not eat the life of an animal into us. Maybe I, I'm wrong. Could it be that people who eat it, that you also might become very, very rough and, and so on? The nature might change a little bit. I don't know. But I think here, James to the Spirit of God said exactly what God wanted us to know. And if you have ever eaten, chuck it out. Empty your fridge with all that stuff into the garbage. That's where it belongs. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, my dear brother. Now the Jews from the diaspora caused an uproar in the temple. They heard something. That Paul was there. And they saw Paul there. But Trophimus, a Greek. And then we read it very clearly here. It says, then all the city was provoked and the people rushed together and taking hold of John, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the door was shut. Nobody should go in. Because they were fearing that any Greek could contaminate the temple and defile the temple. And they thought, because they saw Paul in the temple, they thought that perhaps of Trifonus was also with him. No, he was not there. He saw him only with Paul on the streets of Jerusalem. Now, when they saw Paul there in the temple, they came together and they said, now he is the one who says we should turn away from Moses and all these things do not matter any longer. No. 
actually what happens here. They wanted to kill Paul. And worse was the Jews from the diaspora, perhaps also some Jews of the Messianic Jews. They wanted to kill him. Now, what is happening? You know what your body is? What is your body? Yes, it's not just a covering of all your inner organs. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit because this Spirit came from God and God put it in our hearts. Amen. Hallelujah. They were so concerned about the outer temple, the physical temple, but they had no concern about the temple Paul was himself. Because Paul writes very clearly, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? The temple in Jerusalem, they feared it would be defiled by Greeks. Gentiles. But they didn't think attacking the temple of the Holy Spirit of Paul's. They didn't fear that. And the Bible says clearly, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul was rescued by the Roman cohort, and that's very interesting. Do you remember there was a prophet on Paul's, Paul's way to Jerusalem who came to Paul and he took the belt of Paul and he did something. What did he do? He bound the feet and the hands. And he gave a prophecy. Who remembers this prophecy? The prophecy says, this is going to happen to the man whose belt it is. In other ways, he prophesied, Paul, you will be bound on your feet and you will be bound on your hands. Now, how many chains these Roman cohorts people didn't know anything of the prophecy, they were not there. What did they do? How many chains did they bind Paul with? What? Two chains. One, I guess, for the feet and one for his hands. And it came to pass as this Agabus prophesied. Paul became a bound bond servant. Do you understand it? Does it make sense? Yeah? Did I get it right in English? He became a bound bond servant of the Lord. Hallelujah. There's more to come, but I have to stop now, otherwise you go asleep. Yes? 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul, he was a man of God. He didn't fear anything. He preached wherever he had the chance. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for Paul and all the apostles. I thank the Lord for all the letters the apostle wrote to the different churches. And that means to us in our days. I thank you for your word. I thank you for acts, O oh Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you will keep us in your hand, that we might serve you with all of our heart. Blessed, blessed be the glorious and wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. Amen. The Lord is good. Praise the Lord. Next Sunday, Pastor Gary. Holiness. Separation. Preach it. Preach it. Hallelujah.